we want to be on mission with Christ in this community and in this world to tell others about Jesus. And there are so many in our neighborhoods, so many in your families, so many of your friends who don't yet know Christ in a personal way. And we want to share this good news with them, the good news of Jesus. And we know that can sometimes be scary and feel difficult, but it doesn't have to be. And we've been looking at a simple way to think about how we live our daily lives with the intention of sharing the gospel of Jesus with the people that we are in relationship with, our family, our friends, our co-workers, or our neighbors. And we believe that it's important for us to share our faith about Jesus with other people because it's the greatest news that the world has ever heard. It's the greatest news a person can ever learn. It's the answer to the bad news that we're sinners and that we're separated from God. But good, it's good news because God in love sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross and to take our punishment. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and he offers forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who simply receives the gift of his love by putting their faith in him, by putting their trust in him. And so we believe this is the best news the world could ever know. But it's only good news if people hear it in time. And we believe God has positioned each one of us in other people's lives to be the best person to share the gospel of Jesus with them. So we've taken this acrostic from another church of the word bless, B-L-E-S-S, and we've looked at how we can be reminded to live intentionally so that we can share the gospel with other people. B stands for begin with prayer. L stands for listen with care. E stands for eat together. We talked about that list last week. That seems to be your favorite, uh, I've learned. And then today we're going to talk about serve with love. And then the final S in the acrostic reminds us to share your story, your testimony of faith in Jesus, and share the gospel of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today as we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. And we're talking today about servant evangelism. We're talking about serving people with the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Now, servant evangelism has been defined by someone as doing an act of kindness while expecting nothing in return. So we, we do something good for another person because we love God and we love them and we want to meet a need in their life, but we're not charging them for it. We're not, we're not expecting them to pay us back. We just want to be like our Lord and Savior who went about doing good as we're able to do good in other people's lives. It was Steve Sogren who said, small things done with great love can change the world. Small things done with great love can change the world. That's how Jesus changed the world. Through his love and through his service and through his ministry to meeting the needs of other people, feeding the hungry and healing the sick and comforting the, the grief-stricken and receiving and loving the outcast. All of those little things he did made it possible for his great love to change people's lives and to change the world. But we don't want to just do good for just goodness sake. We want to do good so that when people say, why would you do that? We're able to tell them about Jesus who is at work in our lives, who's been so good to us and who could be their Lord and their Savior as well. Now the problem with wanting to be on mission with Jesus in the world to tell others about him is it requires a great deal of humility. 
It requires a great deal of humility to serve another person. Let's just be honest, we're wired to be self-centered. I remember many years ago, uh, there was a, a brand of underwear called BVDs. I'm not sure if you remember that, but they, they had a commercial uh, and a tagline that said, next to myself, I like BVDs the best. And of course, the humor in that was, of course, you wear BVDs next to your skin, but the real humor was, it was acknowledging the fact that Really, there's nobody else in this life that we like better than ourselves. Next to myself, there's really not many others that I like. We like ourselves first and foremost. And so because of that, we can become self-centered. We can live our lives with the question, the primary question of our life is, what do I want? And we live life just trying to get what I want. But it takes a lot of humility to be like Jesus, who did not live his life asking the question, what do I want? He lived his life asking the question, what do you need? And he met our need, our greatest need. It took great humility and a spirit of servanthood for Jesus to do that. And to be like Jesus, we need to live not with the question, what do I want? As the first and most important question of our lives we ought to live our lives with the first and foremost question, what do you need? What does another person need? And then seek to meet those needs as God gives us the opportunity. And then to share the gospel of Jesus with people when they ask, why are you doing this? Why do you love me like that? Why do you help me like that? Why are you such a good coworker? Why are you such a great neighbor? Why are you still with me when everybody else has turned their back on me? And there's your opportunity to share your story of faith in Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul, who was at first just a Jewish religious leader who did not believe in Jesus as being the Messiah, and then later, in fact, in fact he tried to stamp out Christianity in the first century. He would arrest Christians and put them on trial with the Jewish Sanhedrin and and many of them were condemned to blasphemy. This is the same guy who wrote this letter who was standing there when the first Christian martyr lost his life. The Christian martyr's name was Stephen. You can read about him in the book of Acts. But this guy, Paul, also known as Saul, was there happy to see a Christian being put to death for what Paul considered blasphemy, considering that Jesus was not the Messiah as far as Paul was concerned. He was just a criminal that the Romans crucified. You say, well, wait a minute. If that's where he used to be, how do we get where he's writing a big part of our New Testament and he's telling us about Jesus and he's taking Jesus all over the known world of the first century, planting churches everywhere he went? What happened to this guy? Well, what happened is Jesus appeared to him resurrected from the grave. And he realized he had been wrong about Jesus, that Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really did die. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and it changed Paul's life. And he became a Christian. And rather than trying to stamp out Christianity, he committed the rest of his life until he himself was martyred by the Roman government. They cut his head off. Uh, he made it his life's ambition to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. So he's writing a letter to Christians in the first century city of Philippi. And we've got a copy of this letter in our New Testament. We call it the book of Philippians. It's really just a letter. But he's concerned about 
the Christians in this city and in this church not losing their focus on sharing Jesus with as many people as possible. He's concerned that the persecution they're experiencing from the outside may distract them from sharing the gospel of Jesus. But he's also concerned that some of the pressure on the inside of the church, some of the little ways that Christians get on each other's nerves and how Christians can disagree with each other and how have disagreements and, and their unity can be threatened, that too can take your eyes off the mission of telling people about Jesus. So he's, he's concerned enough that he writes this letter to say you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, stay in unity, and keep telling people about Jesus. So let's think about what it takes in humility to serve other people. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2 verse 1. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is saying to the Christians, listen guys, since or if, he, he uses the, the phrase, so if there is, and then he starts listing these things. But the way he's saying it is he's assuming the answer is yes, these things are present. He's saying, so since there's encouragement in Christ, Christ has changed your life. You've been encouraged and blessed by the presence of Christ in your life. If there's any comfort you've received from the love of Christ and the love that other people have for you, and, and if there's any participation in the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God is at work in your life, the Spirit of God is at work in other Christians' lives, and if there's any affection you guys have for each other, if there's any sympathy or empathy that you have for each other, then complete my joy as a pastor. And this is what completes my joy. It's not how many were in church this morning. What completes my joy is that you guys are of the same mind, having the same love for each other, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says, what completes my joy is to see you believers in the city of Philippi coming together in mutual love and unity and purpose for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is what gives me joy. And I'm going to join Paul. I'm not near as eloquent as Paul, but I'm going to join him in saying, this is what gives your pastor joy. It gives me joy when I see the members of this church coming together in unity in Jesus Christ. When we come together in unity of love, and when we come together in unity of purpose, it is a beautiful picture indeed. And you know what that's like if you're a parent. You love it when your kids get along. You love it when you see them loving each other. You love it when you see them helping each other without being asked. And that's a pastor's joy as well. It is a picture of unity. And there's something powerful about a group of people who come together in unity. Now that doesn't mean uniformity. We are different people. We have different preferences. We have different backgrounds. We have different likes and dislikes. That's all fine. But Paul is saying lay all of that aside for what really makes you guys one. That's your faith in Jesus Christ. And the difference he's making in you. And the difference he wants to make in other people. Because if you let disunity invade the ranks of the church, then you will get your eyes off Jesus 
and you will get your eyes off of a lost community that desperately needs Jesus. And the world out there will never believe in the message of reconciliation, that you can be right with God through Jesus if you guys aren't even right with each other. They're not going to believe it unless they see the unity of Christ in the church. And I'm going to call on you always as your pastor to be spiritually mature, to do the hard work of keeping the unity of the Spirit of Christ in the church. In fact, he continues in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He says don't do anything. Don't make any decisions. Don't participate in any actions out of selfish motives where it's all about your ambition You getting your way, climbing the ladder, stepping on whoever you have to step on to get your way. And he's not just talking about out in the corporate world. He's talking about in the church. Don't bring that selfish, arrogant attitude of ambition into the church where you are going to abuse and use other people to get your way. Don't do anything like that. And don't do anything out of conceit. Conceit is another word for pride. You think you're better than someone else. You're not. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. Don't do anything because you think you're better than another person. I don't know about you, but when I was young and and started going to church uh, in South Georgia, there was this phrase that our pastor would use quite often, and I don't know if you've ever heard it, but he 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 would say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That when you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're male or if you're female, if you're black or if you're white, if you're Anglo or Hispanic or anything else, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus equally, and nobody gets a little leg up on Jesus because of who they are or what they've done. We are all saved by God's unmerited grace. And so there's no room for people being prideful or arrogant or conceited in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Rather than being self-centered and arrogant, Paul is calling for an attitude of humility. An attitude where we recognize how Blessed we've been by the grace of God, and that humbles us. And now in the position of humility, we are able to put others ahead of ourselves. Before we came to know Jesus, the primary philosophy of our life was me first, others second, God maybe last or not at all. But now that we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, God has turned our priorities upside down. Now life is about God first. It is about others second. And then it's about ourselves. And that's what Paul's calling for. He's calling for humility that will enable us to serve each other in Christ and to serve others even outside of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because selfishness kills unity, and it kills our testimony about Jesus Christ. And then he continues, verse 4. This is what it looks like if you're humble. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
Yes, you have interest. Yes, you have desires. Yes, you have ambitions. There's nothing wrong with those things in the proper place. But while you're living your life, don't let your life just be about you. Instead, don't just look out for your own interest, but also look out for the interest of others. All of our hunters here will like this. The, the word that Paul uses for look in the Greek language of the New Testament. He's writing in Greek, and that was the original language of the New Testament. The word is the same word we get, the English word scope. So like the scope on your rifle, that's the word he uses for look. He's saying you need to look directly, and you need to focus your attention, and you need to zero in not just on your interest, what's good for you, what you like, what you want, but you need to zero in and focus on what's in the best interest of another person. Listen, you may not even be a Christian this morning, but that right there is worth the price of admission. You think about how much better your relationships will be if you start living your life intently looking for what's in the best interest of another person and seeking to put them ahead of yourself. It'll change your marriage. It'll change the way you parent. By the way, kids, it'll change the way you look at your parents. If you stop looking at just what's in your interest and start thinking about your parents and what's in their best interest, you might take out the garbage without being asked. You might actually get your homework done on time without being asked. Amen to all the parents that said, yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor, for saying that. Becky paid me to say that this morning, a good teacher. It'll change the way you go to work tomorrow. Whenever you go to work, if you are looking out not only for your own interest, but for someone else's interest, you'll come up to them if they've got this big project going on and say, listen, how can I help you? What do you need from me? Is there anything I can do for you? You can leverage your life for the good of that other person's life. That'll change the way we Look at our political debates in the world. I've discovered things aren't nearly as black and white as some people want to make them out to be. There are a lot of good people on both sides of some political issues, and they're all trying to do the same thing from a different perspective. Maybe we ought to look out for the interest of another person and say, what's in it for them, not just what's in it for me? And it's certainly true when we come to church. We come to church not just focused on what's in it for me, but what's in it for others. In fact, I tell you, I have seen this fleshed out over the 26 years I've been your pastor. And I have certainly seen this spirit of humility in putting the interest of others ahead of ourselves in these last few months as this church has made a radical transition to be one church passionately united and focused on reaching the spiritually lost in our community through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have watched, especially people uh, of our senior adult generation and people who prefer traditional worship more, I have seen them live out humility, put other people ahead of themselves, and say, I'm going to be behind what Christ is calling our church to do because it's not about me. It is about reaching the next person who needs Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. Your pastor has been so blessed. I've been so amazed and I've been so touched by this spirit that I have seen in you guys. But listen, you've heard it said, a picture is worth a thousand words. And what I need often in my life is not just an explanation of humility and servanthood. I need an example of humility 
and servanthood. And Paul gives us that example, beginning with verse 5. In verse 5 he writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So all of us should say, this is the attitude we all want to have. This is the way of thinking that ought to motivate every single one of us in this church who have a relationship with God through Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul says, I'm going to give you an example of humble service. I'm going to give you an example of someone who did not just look out for his own interest, but looked out, zeroed in, focused on the interest of others. In the same thought pattern, the same mindset, the same intent of life that you see in Christ Jesus, I want you to have. I want you to emulate. I want you to invite into your conversations and into your relationships. Because Paul says, I'm going to point you to Jesus, who though he being in the form of God, that means in very essence, Jesus is God. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was God in a bod. Jesus, according to John chapter 1, verse 14, was the Word, the, the Logos, the thought of God who became flesh and lived among us. And John said, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, in eternity past, before that first Christmas morning, was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 1. But though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be selfishly held on to. But instead, Jesus was willing to humble himself and to serve us. Look at verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now there's too much here this morning and not enough time for me to get into all the theological arguments and explanations of what Paul is saying. But suffice it to say this morning, Paul is not saying that Jesus gave up his deity when he became a man. What he is saying to us is that Jesus Christ, though he were God, he was willing to humble himself and also become man. He added his humanity to his deity. And even though he's God, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, holy, righteous, the creator of the universe, he nonetheless in humility condescended to the span of a virgin's womb and became one of us. God in flesh. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. If anybody had the right to show up and to show off and to take over and to give orders, it was Jesus. But instead, how did he come? He came in humility. He came in service to you and to me. He lived every moment of his life, not for himself, but for others. He came doing good, loving, preaching, calling to repentance, 
calling people to faith in God. And he leveraged his life for the benefit of our lives. He took the form of a servant. The lowest of the low in Roman society. The lowest slave on the totem pole. That's the word Paul uses for servant of Jesus. And he was, being, he was born in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is hard for us to comprehend the condescension, the humility that Jesus willingly accepted and embraced for us. Not only did God become man, not only did God become the God-man who came to serve us and to woo us by his love, but he humbled himself all the way to a cross. All the way to death, Paul says, but not just any death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't die as an old man in his 90s, in his warm bed, surrounded by his family and friends. He died stripped naked and nailed to a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem, bleeding and battered and rejected and blasphemed by everyone who looked at him. Imagine this, the maker of men being murdered by those very men, the creator being crucified and killed, the one who only and always loved receiving nothing but hate and violence and rejection. That's the death he died. Paul says, even the death of the cross. And it wasn't that the cross was the most painful way to die. The Romans could have come up with even more excruciating ways to torture a man. But for the Romans, they perfected crucifixion because it was the best way they knew how to absolutely dishonor a person. To absolutely debase a person. To absolutely make a person a scorn and a sight to behold. Crucifixion was so ugly, so brutal, that it was against Roman law for a Roman citizen to be crucified. It was beneath the dignity of a citizen of Rome. But everybody else, fair game. Crucifixion was so ugly, even the Jews, whenever they saw a person crucified, according to the Old Testament law, they considered that person cursed by God. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It wasn't just the physical and the emotional. It was also the spiritual humility that Jesus went through as he hung on that cross, taking your punishment and my punishment on the cross Forsaken by God so we wouldn't have to be forsaken by God. And he's crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how humble Jesus was willing to go to save you and to save me. And when Paul says, I'm calling you to unity and I'm calling you to die to your differences and I'm calling you to come together in the same heart and purpose I'm calling you to not think about just yourself, but to put others ahead of yourself. I'm going to give you the supreme example, and his name is Jesus. Follow his example, followers. Do what he did, 
And let that change how you view the changes of life. Let that view change how you have your conversations in life. Let that change how you view other people in life. Treat other people, serve other people like Jesus served you. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't end with Jesus dying on a bloody cross in humility and anguish and pain and loneliness. No, no, no. That's not the end of the story. Verse 9, Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, don't you remember, after the crucifixion came the resurrection. After humiliation, there was exaltation. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, having completed the mission that God gave him to do. He is exalted, and it's at his name that one day every knee shall bow and confess, he is Lord. And every tongue will confess, he is Lord. And it's Paul's way of saying, one day we're all going to stand before Jesus. And we're going to give an account of how we've lived. And we who called ourselves followers of Jesus, did we really follow him all the way to the cross? All the way to humbling ourselves? All the way to serving others? All the way to considering others more important than ourselves? Or did we live our lives asking the question, what's in it for me? This is what I want. Or did we live our lives saying, what do you need? And I'm going to leverage my life for your life. And after there's humility, there's exaltation. Maybe you're familiar with WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? It's always seemed odd to me, but we have 2,000 plus years of New Testament church. Maybe it should be WDJD. What did Jesus do that should motivate us? And then just go do that. And he humbled himself, and he took the position of a servant, and he leveraged his life for the good of other people's lives, including you. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's what we're going to call you to do. Serve people. Serve your spouse. Serve your kids. Serve your neighbor. Be a good employee. Go to the ship tomorrow and say, how can I help you? What do you need? And when people start seeing differences in you than they don't expect, be sure to tell them about Jesus. Hey, it's just because Jesus has been good to me and I want to be good to you. We're going to talk more about that next week. But here's a way I want to help you to apply this message to your life. One way to share the love of Jesus is by first showing the love of Jesus. So how will you show the love of Jesus this week with the hope that you'll get to share the gospel of Jesus sometime in the future? Who can you show the love of Jesus to? How can you show the love of Jesus to them? Well, maybe just ask someone what do you need? What do you need? See somebody struggling with something? What do you need? See somebody with a big project? What do you need? See somebody with a big task ahead of them? What do you need? And then just hear them and join them if you're able 
and try to help meet that need. Maybe somebody needs encouragement, so encourage someone. Maybe somebody needs a little help, so find a need and help a person in need. Maybe you can invite somebody to church. And I don't mean just because we want more people in the sanctuary. I mean invite them to church so that they can see the body of Christ at work, loving each other, loving God, serving, meeting needs. If there's somebody hurting with a a hurt or a habit or a hang-up, they'll hear about Celebrate Recovery. You've just helped meet a need of their life. Or maybe they're grieving the loss of a loved one. We can connect them to grief share. Maybe they're going through a divorce. We can connect them with divorce care. Maybe they've got questions about, is God real? Is this Bible real? How do I know any of this is true? And we can help meet them where they are. A young man pulled me aside just last week, and he said, you know, I come to your church, but I'm I'm an agnostic. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if you can know there's a God. And sometimes when I go to church, I feel condemned But I came to your church, and you actually listened to my questions. And your church is respectful to people that don't quite yet believe. And you say from the stage, hey, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. It's okay. It's a safe place. He said, I just wanted you to hear from me. Thank you. I don't know if I'll ever believe, but I'm going to come back to your church. That's why I want people to come. That's why I want you to invite people, because they see and sense something different here. And we know the difference is Jesus. Maybe you'll serve at church and volunteer and help meet a need. Because through the church, we serve each other and we serve our community. So here's your homework this week. I want you to ask the question to someone this week, what do you need? And then just seek to meet that need if you can. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve like our Savior served. To put others ahead of ourselves to humble ourselves, and to be used by you in your kingdom to show the love of Jesus in practical, tangible ways through acts of kindness, through helping, through being a good friend or a family member or a neighbor. And God, we thank you that that we want to do that because it's just the right thing to do. We don't need any other agenda to do good. It's just good to be good. It's always right to do good. But God, we also are praying that you would give us an opportunity that after people see the love of Jesus through us, that we could share the gospel of Jesus that motivates us. And that we could point them to one who humbled himself, became a servant of humanity, died our death, even the death of the cross, but who has been resurrected and who is alive And who can save from the penalty of sin. Who can give forgiveness and eternal life to all who will simply receive him and trust him. God, there could be somebody in this room today who needs to do that. I pray that today, before it's eternally too late for them, that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus the Savior. And say, dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus is your son who rose from the dead, having died my death, having paid the price for my forgiveness. And I put my confidence in him and him alone to forgive me and to be my Lord and my Savior. Today I take Jesus at his word when he said, whoever believes in him, they will not perish, but they will have eternal life. 
While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you've just prayed that prayer, I want you to let me know or let someone that brought you here today know so that we can rejoice. Go to our website. Go to that Let's Connect card and click on that button that says, Today I committed my life to Christ. I want to rejoice with you and send you just a brief email to encourage you, okay? I won't spam you, I promise. So, Father, would you have your perfect will and way in all of our lives as we respond to you in obedience right now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're a guest or if I can help you with any spiritual decision, I'll meet you right here at the front. God bless you guys. <laughs>